Hey, it's Pastor Jeffrey Graff with Faith Family Church Next Gen. Thanks for tuning in. I hope this message brings truth, clarity, and hope to your situation. God loves you very much, and I hope you feel that today. Enjoy the podcast. What is up, everybody? So good to be with you guys. Y'all doing good today? (laughs) Cool. It's always a little awkward when I ask the first time. Hey, can we give the band a hand clap? Uh, Y'all did such a good job. And uh, one more hand clap for all the people in the booth running it back there. We don't, we don't see them, but they're very important to what we do. Uh, it's so good to see you today. I'm excited that you're here. If it's your first time, I want to say welcome. If you don't know me, my name is Pastor Jeffrey. Uh, I'm the pastor here at YA. Going on my fourth year here soon. I love my job. I always say I got the best job in the world because I get to pastor the best people, the best people in the world. I really believe that. Uh, it's such a highlight of my week. And I'm excited today because we're starting a new series. We're starting a series called The Ultimate Gift. And the gift that we're talking about is salvation or being saved. Would you help me out? I like to feel like I'm not up here by myself. Everybody say saved. Saved. Christian. Oh, that was good. It kind of scared me. Um, Christian or not, you probably know that uh, Christians believe Jesus died on the cross We believe Jesus died in our place so that we can be saved, right? But but it begs the question, saved from what? And I guess the short answer to that is saved from eternal punishment or torment or, to put it lightly, saved from hell, right? Starting this introduction very lightly. Uh, And I need to talk about it. That's why if you've been to church, we do it here, a lot of churches, at the end of the sermon, a lot of times the pastor will stand up here and he'll kind of say, you know, like if you were to die today, do you know where you spend eternity? Would you spend it? And he'll give two options, forever with God, or would you spend it, uh, you know, forever separated from God? And I think as we hear these two options, we kind of have different reactions to them as we grow up. Like for sure, when I was, you know, middle schooler, you hear hell and you're like, oh crap, like Make it the, you know, when they ask you to raise your hand, you're like, me, no, hell. I was going to say hell, no, but it would have sounded wrong. Uh, see what I'm saying? Hell, comma, no. Um, I really would. It would terrify me. I would raise my hand. Like, I was about to be the most saved person in middle school. When I got to heaven, the angels were going to be like, we know that hand. Come on in. <laughs> We've seen, we don't need to check the books. You're good, buddy. Uh, but I think, honestly, as you get older, you start to question things more. You hear about, you know, some people go into heaven, some people go into hell, and you might have different questions that come to your mind. I mean, I think some people will say something like, I think people are generally, you know, pretty good, and you're telling me they'll be punished forever? They'll be in hell forever? That doesn't seem very fair. Or maybe you'll say something like, well, we can't even agree on what's true today, you know? Like, there's your truth, there's my truth. What is the truth? How are we going to develop some sort of eternal punishment if we can't even have a truth when it comes to right and wrong? Or maybe you're sitting there and you're like, I don't know. I don't even know if we can prove God is real, right? A lot of people think this. How do you even know God is real? And if we can't prove for sure that God is real, why are we walking around warning people of the punishment he says there is? At the heart of so many questions that people have when it comes to salvation, when it comes to, you know, hell, what all of them kind of have in common is the title of my sermon is this question. Why do I need to be saved? Help me out. Say why. Why? It can be complicated, but in the series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the book of Romans. I want to stick 
uh, with the book of Romans for the next four weeks. I've already written the sermons on it. I'm excited to share. I really didn't want to share it first, but pastorally, the more I talk to people, the more I realize a lot of people don't really understand salvation. They don't really know what it means to be saved or they have a, a shallow depth. And, you know, some of what I say today, you might already know, but hopefully I'll be able to help you articulate it better so uh, you can say it in your faith. And, and then I hope some of what I say you learn. Uh, but I know that there's a lot we don't know. And you may have family members. Let me just take a poll of the room. Would you raise your hand if you have family members that, I'm not asking if they claim to be Christian or not, but like they don't really follow God that much. All right, cool. So, yeah, me too. Uh, my dad. Uh, um, I'm sorry. Uh, you, you got me off track. With, oh, well, you have like these family members and, and, you know, if they don't really claim to be Christian or, you know, they don't really live the word out and you read the Bible, you, you might have thoughts that come to your head like, man, if God is loving, like why would this person be in hell for all eternity? And so here's the thing. Today I'm going to give you five really short points about why we need to be saved straight from the Bible. And I just, my hope is that you and I can discover some truth together. So I'm going to pray first. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. God, as I tackle this uh, subject and talk about why we need to be saved and what your word says, God, I just ask that you help us understand your word with humility. God, help me teach uh, better than I'd be able to do in my own power. God, we both know who I am without you. So God, just move through me. Uh, help me say something useful, but God, more than anything, help the hearts of the people out here be receptive because when your word falls on good soil, it will produce a fruit. Help a fruit be produced today so that we leave more like you than when we came. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. Let's do it. Why do I need to be saved? The first three chapters of Romans really deal with this pretty good. They answer a lot of questions. So I'm going to start here in Romans 1, verse 18 through 20. If it's your first time, you guys got the underlined part kind of goes like this. But God showed his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 19. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. How? How has he made it obvious? Verse 20 says, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made so through God's creation they can clearly see God's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature so they have no excuse for not knowing God hear me out Paul wants to talk about why we need to be saved and here's the first thing he says why do I need to be saved if you're taking notes first of all because there is a God the first thing Paul wants you to know he's like uh you want to know how I can prove there's a God you see the stars, you see the sky, you see the mountains, the oceans, the river. Yeah, we didn't make that. Like, you can't make that. I can't make that. Obviously, there's a higher power out there somewhere who made all this stuff. There's no way humans could have made it. And now I know maybe you're like, well, at school, they teach science, you know. Like, school, the Big Bang Theory or whatever. You know what's interesting? I'm going to stop there for a second. I'm not even necessarily against the Big Bang Theory. Here's why. I don't know a ton of science, so if you're like a science nerd, don't at me, okay? But... The Big Bang Theory, basically, I believe, is like, okay, there was a bunch of nothingness, and then from pretty much nothing, pff, everything. Guess what Genesis 1 says? In the beginning, the earth was formless and void. There was absolutely nothing, and then God spoke nothing into existence. Crazy, right? What? what? But what people 
what people disagree on is when they're saying, no, listen, man, creation just started. God didn't start it. And I just want to talk to you rationally real quick, okay? Because Paul's like, look at creation. You can prove God from creation. And I'm going to get into a little apologetics here real fast. Um, that line of thinking, now nah, creation just started. God didn't start it. I just want to show you how, not to be ugly, but how irrational and short-sighted that is with any other approach to life. Scale it down, okay? Let's say you come home to your apartment, whatever, and you see there's a lawnmower in the front lawn just ready to be pushed. It started. You do not come home and say, that's crazy. That lawnmower just started. You don't. You assume that somebody started it. Why? Because if something started, it has to have a starter. But we don't really do that with creation. If it started, somebody probably started it. Let me give you another example, okay? Let's not talk about, you know, creation with the sky, the earth, the rivers, the ocean. Let's talk about you and me. We're really complicated. I had to fact check this with Eden because I didn't want to just, you know, Google something and not be true. Our DNA is made up of 40 trillion cells with 3.5 billion letters. All of them are in the right order to make us work without even thinking about it. 3.5 billion letters. That's crazy. Even, even atheists, they will say the hardest proof to refute that uh, there is a God is this. It's called the design argument because they're like, man, something is that complex, that designed with that intentionality. There's no way that could be an accident because if something has a design, it probably has a designer. So scale it down. Scale it down. I don't need to talk to you about 3.5 billion letters. Let's talk about 13. Let's talk about you walking at the beach, okay? And you see in the sand written 13 letters. John loves Mary. I made it up, but whatever. You would not walk by that and be like, <laughs> the wind just blew that. That's crazy, dude. You wouldn't do that. But we do it with, with creation. No, no, no. If something has a design, then it has to have a designer. Paul is saying, let me tell you why we need to be safe. First of all, look around. You didn't have to be safe. Somebody made this. And you got to be pretty irrational to not believe that somebody made this. There is a God. Why is that important? Because a lot of times we want to say there is no God. Because guess what? If there is no God, guess who gets to be God? We do. And we get to decide on things like, is there a heaven? Is there a hell? I'm not trying to be ugly, but that's not really our call. There's a God. So that's the first thing Paul wants to show in Romans. But that's not all he wants to show. He starts talking about how people refuse to acknowledge God. And then he says a little later on in the, the chapter, verse 1, 29 through 30, he says, Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. Sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. Verse 30, they're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and disobey their parents. What's he saying? He's saying we need to be saved, not just because there's a God, but number two, there's evil. I don't got to work very hard to convince anybody of this, okay? Look around. You know there's evil in the world. I know there's evil in the world. You know how we know? Because we've been hurt by it. Maybe your parents split up because they were fighting, quarreling, like Paul says, and now you're left to deal with the damage. You shouldn't have had to go through that. 
but evil hurts you. Maybe, you know, you've been hurt because somebody gossiped about you. Or take yourself out the picture, man. Just look around. How many more school shootings do we got to have to be like, what the heck with these count, like this senseless murders? Why does malicious, you know, violence like rape exist? It's crazy. You look around and I don't have to convince anybody that hard. It's pretty screwed up. And <laughs> I'm about to flip it on you, so don't mm too much. Because it's easy to nod here and be like, mm-hmm. Some people just suck, you know? Because it is, really. But then Paul, while he's lulling them to sleep with this argument, like, yeah, yeah, the very next verse. It's a new chapter, but it's the very next verse. Verse 2-1. He takes it a step further, and he says this. You may think you can condemn such people, mm, but you are just as bad. I am just as bad. And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. What's going on now? Paul's saying, you know why we need to be saved? Because there's a God. Because there's evil. Now he takes it a step further. And here's, the, here's where the rubber meets the road. He says, and we're evil. You're evil. I just read it to you. He said, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, gossip. And we've been saying like, yeah, we've been hurt by these things. But the truth is we've hurt others by doing these things. I know I have. You ever gossiped, hurt somebody, got angry, hurt somebody's feelings? There's evil in the world because there's evil in us. And, and I'm not saying human beings are incapable of producing any good character. That's not true. But it is not natural for us. Let me prove it. When I was little, if I saw a toy that I wanted, just like any other little kid, you say one word, starts with the M and it's four letters. That's mine. mine. You know that's called greed. Nobody had to teach me that. Get a little bit older, right? You're in high school or junior high and you see somebody who's better than you at something and you start to get jealous. That's jealousy. Paul just taught me. Nobody had to teach you that. It's just instinctual or flip it you're better than somebody else and you feel like you're hot stuff now mm, that's called pride paul talked about it nobody had to teach you it i'm not saying human beings can't produce good works i'm saying what is natural for us because we're evil we have a corrupt character what's natural for us is not to love others it's to look out for ourselves first and you could do a lot of evil in the name of self-preservation so what do we do with all this info, right? This is all I've told you. I know this is, you're like, I shouldn't have come. Well, you got what you paid for, okay? <laughs> there is a God. There's evil. We're evil. And I hate to tell you this, but it gets even more bleak. Paul says now, the very next verse, Romans 2, 2. And we know that God and his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Why do I need to be saved? Number four, because evil must be punished. I can't be a good pastor if I only read the verses of the scripture that we want to read. I can't be a good pastor if I don't tell you what the Bible says. There will be punishment for sins one day. Now, maybe you got questions about that. At least two I'll talk about real quick. Maybe the first question you have is like, why can God punish us? How about I say, why can? And this might be a, a, a bad answer. I don't know, but... Why can God punish the world? Well, he created it. 
And normally, last time I checked, when somebody creates something, they get the ability to define the rules. Like, for instance, who made the rules of basketball? Well, whoever created the game, we're kind of playing by their rules. But let me ask a better question. Not why can God punish, but why does God punish? Why does God punish evil? Sometimes you just want to be like, for real, God, can you just like let it slide? God, can you just, I don't know, early. <laughs> Sorry, it's going to be emotional the rest of the service. Um, like, God, can you just, you know, let it slide? Why, why does God have to judge? That same verse actually tells us, look at Romans 2, Romans 2, 2. I'm going to point you to a different part of it. It says this, and we know that God in his what? Justice. Justice will punish anybody who does such things. Justice. That means fairness. Why does God judge us? Because he hates what evil does to people. He hates it hurting his kids. And a lot of times we think, oh, God, we don't want you to punish justice when it's us who commits it. But we crave it when somebody else commits it. See, let me, let me talk about this. There was this girl who came up to me not long ago, and her and her uncle were so tight, but somebody murdered her uncle. And she was in pieces. Didn't know what to do about it. All this stuff. What if the police officers would have come up to her, little teenage girl, and said, hey, honey, I'm so sorry that your uncle was murdered, but we want to be really loving. So we're just going to let him go free. Would that be loving? Depends who you ask. It wouldn't be loving to the girl. She'd be mad. She'd want justice. And you couldn't blame her for that. Because at our core, we know that justice and fairness is what we need. And that something has to happen. Punishment has to come. If, if, if love is really going to be dealt to the whole world, we know that at our core. So what do we do? Well, if there's a God, if there's evil, if we're evil, and evil must be punished the only logical option for you and for me is to try not to screw up, right? And this is what most people's Christianity becomes. Well, let me just try not to screw up because maybe God won't be mad at me. Let me just make sure I do all the right things. But if you live long enough, you know that don't work. I'm a pastor's kid. Like I tried to be perfect most of my life. Like, well, dad's preaching on stage. I better get my crap together. And I remember telling God what so many of us tell God, God, I'll never do it again. All right, last for what, like a week, a month max? You know what I mean? Like sixth grade, as early as sixth grade, I'm sitting there like, Lord, I won't be disrespectful to my parents. Go Wednesday night to youth, feel convicted. I'm like, I rededicate Thursday morning. Shut up, Mom. Crap. Sorry, Lord. Next week. But how many times we do that? God, I won't do it again. And it's not like little kid junior high problems either. Our problems grow up with us. God, I'm not going to drink that much. God, I'm not going to watch that again. God, I'm not going to cross that boundary. God, I'm not. And we try and we try and we try to just meet the mark, be perfect. And guess what? We realize we can't. Because even when you get the action right, then you got a new list of problems. Because it's not just the actions. What about wrong thoughts? How are you going to stop those? Then what about when you do the right thing for the wrong reason and you hear that God looks at the heart? Crap, dude. I got a long list. I'm never going to get through this. I'm never going to be good enough. Jesus said, that if you even hate somebody in your heart, that's as good as committing murder. And so you're sitting there and there's one conclusion. I can't do it. I can't be perfect. And really good Christians have thought this. This is week three and I'm going to dabble in, in it a little bit. 
But the Apostle Paul says, I don't know what to do, man. Every time I want to do the right thing, I do the wrong thing. He's an apostle. He wrote the Bible, and he's saying this. I want to do right, but oh, the sin within me just keeps pushing me to do wrong. And he comes to this conclusion in Romans 7, 24. He says, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Why do I need to be saved? Fifth reason, because I can't be perfect. So let me put them all together. You ready? Why do I need to be saved? You got the underlined part. Number one, because there is a... Number two, there is... Number three, we are. Number four, evil must be... And number five, I can't be... And so you come to this conclusion in life. If God can only reward perfection and punish sin, I don't have a chance. Like if God's only gonna reward perfection and, and punish sin, then I truly am damned. I have no other option. The only way any of this works is that somebody would have to be so perfect to not deserve any punishment. Who's going to do that? Who's going to be that perfect? And for me to get out of it, the only way they're going to do it is not only to be so perfect, but then they'd have to be so loving to look at me and say, hey, I was perfect and I get a reward, but I'm also loving. So guess what? Let me take your punishment and you could have my reward. Who in their right mind would do that? In the logical conclusion and the answer that you'll find is one person and one person only, Jesus Christ. And Romans 3.23 says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ. Man, better than that. He did this through Christ. If you know the grace of God that picked you up and put you on standing you didn't deserve. Man, he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. What I really wanted to tell you is that God loves you more than you could ever know. And it doesn't make sense. You'll never be able to add it up. You'll never be able to sit there and say, well, God loves me because I stopped doing that or because I started doing it. No, no, no. God loves you because that's called grace. And that's what everything is built off of. Jesus gave his reward and took your punishment because he loves you. Jesus knew you couldn't be perfect. Jesus knew you'd never be able to follow all the rules. So guess what? He said, let me change the rules. You don't get a reward anymore just because you're perfect. You get a reward because I'm perfect and because I love you. Because I took all the shame and the guilt that should have been yours on my back so you could be on good terms with me, not because you earned it. But I think so many times, if we're real, we're still sitting here trying to earn God's grace. No, 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 no. You don't do anything for acceptance from God. You do everything from acceptance from God. That's the difference. It's like the pressure's off. It's like, I've used this analogy before, but it's like my senior year, my freshman year, when I was trying out for the basketball team, everything I did, I was nervous. Every time I made a mistake, I was scared. Why? Because I didn't know if I was going to make the team. My senior year, when my spot was secure, I went out there with nothing to fear. I'd airball a shot. I'm like, I don't even care. I'm still going to be the cop captain. Why? My spot was secure. When you know your spot's secure with Jesus, you're not doing it to get anything. You're doing it because you already have something that nobody's going to take away from you. 
It's, it's called grace, and I don't think a lot of people understand it. I had to talk about sin and evil and punishment to get to all of this. Because if you don't see that you really need Jesus, you'll never appreciate Jesus. Let me put it like this. If you bump into a savior when you're walking in the street, you might get offended and be like, hey man, stay in your lane. If you bump into a savior while you're drowning in the ocean, you'll cling to him for dear life and say, help me, help me, help me. What's the difference? In one scenario, you know how much you needed him. Do you know how much you need Jesus? That's what I'm here to ask. Because I think a lot of people get offended by the Bible, get offended by the gospel. They bump into Jesus and they say, hey man, stay in your lane, Jesus. And I'm just here to remind you, Jesus made you his lane. He intersected heaven and earth to come find you, to tell you I love you. There's, there's nothing you could ever do to earn my love. When you sin, I love you. When you did it again, I love you. When you cheat, I love you. When you stole, I love you. There's nothing you could do. And the only way to change isn't to do good, it's to know grace. The only way that your heart will ever change is not because you did enough good things. It's because you know, despite all of the good things you could ever do, the grace of God picked you way before you picked him. There's nothing you could do to take yourself out of the hand of God and out of his love for you. So here's this, salvation, being saved, is knowing two things, that you're more sinful than you ever thought, but you're more loved than you ever hoped. You're more sinful than you ever thought. You're more loved than you ever hoped. I wasn't gonna share this, but it's kinda on my heart. Let me tell you how you know that you're actually living out your salvation in a real way. When you're living out your salvation in a real way, two things will change. How you fail will change and how you succeed will change. Because you don't realize this, but most of your like identity and most of your self-worth is wrapped up in your works, whether you fail or succeed. So if you fail and you're just completely, whatever it is, you fail at your job, a relationship fails, and you're just completely up in arms, despondent, oh, that is your God. Why? Because that is your work determining your worth. On the second hand of that, if you're succeeding and you just feel like, man, on top of the world, everything's good because I'm succeeding. I'm the one that people come to for advice. I'm the one that, guess what? That is your God. You're finding your worth in your work. Christianity doesn't really care. It doesn't get too high on successes, nor does it get too low on failures. Why? Because your worth is not determined because of your work. Your worth is determined because of Christ's work on the cross for you. His blood is strong enough. That should be the thing that identifies Christians more than anything else. Salvation is knowing. I'm more sinful than I ever thought. And at the same time, I'm more loved than I ever hoped. That's Christianity. Welcome to it. Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening. If you live in the Victoria area, stop by one of our services. Church is way better with people. So if you're between the ages of 18 to 29, check out our Instagram at ffc.ya. All of our service info is there. And if you're 6th through 12th grade, check out our Instagram at ffc.sm. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And even more, I hope it brought you closer to God. Have a great day.